Section 16 of the San Francisco Calamity by Earthquake and Fire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulay. The San Francisco Calamity by Earthquake and Fire by Charles Morris. Chapter 16 The Great Lisbon and Calabrian Earthquakes. To our account of the great earth convulsions of San Francisco, it is in place to append a description of some similar events of older date. It is due to the same causes, whatever these causes may be, the imprisoned forces within the earth acting over great distances during the earthquake, while they are concentrated within some limited space when the volcano begins its work. The earthquake is the most terrible to mankind of all the natural agencies of destruction. While the volcano usually has a greater permanent effect upon surface conditions, it is, as a rule, much less destructive to human life, the earthquake often shaking down cities and burying all their inhabitants in one common grave. Violent earthquakes are also of far more frequent occurrence than destructive volcanic eruptions, many hundreds of them having taken place during the historic period. While the earthquake is only indirectly connected with the subject of our work, it seems desirable to make some mention of it here, at least so far as relates to those terrible convulsions whose destructiveness have given them special prominence in the history of great disasters. Ancient notable examples are those which threw down the famous Colossus of Rhodes and the Pharos of Alexandria. The city of Antioch was a terrible sufferer from this affliction, it having been devastated some time before the Christian era, while in the year 859, more than 15,000 of its houses were destroyed. Of countries subject to earthquakes, Japan has been a special sufferer. In some cases, mountains and islands being elevated in association with shocks. In others, great tracts of land being swallowed up by the sea. The number of deaths in some of these instances was enormous. Numerous thrilling examples of the destructive work of the earthquake at various periods are on record. Of these we have given elsewhere a tabular list of the more important, and shall confine ourselves to a few striking examples of its destructive action. In the record of great earthquakes, one of the most famous is that which in 1755 visited the city of Lisbon, the capital of Portugal, and left that populous place in ruin and dire distress. It may be well to recall the details of this dire event to the memories of our readers. The Great Lisbon Earthquake On the night of the 31st of October, 1755, the citizens of the fair city of Lisbon lay down to sleep, in merciful ignorance of what was awaiting them on the morrow. The morning of the 1st of November dawned, and gave no sign of approaching calamity. The sun rose in its brightness, the warmth was genial, the breezes gentle, the sky serene. It was All Saints' Day, a high festival of the Church of Rome. The sacred edifices were thronged with eager crowds, and the ceremonies were in full progress, when the assembled throngs were suddenly startled from their devotions. From the ground beneath came fearful sounds that drowned the peal of the organ and the voices of the choirs. These underground thunders having rolled away, an awful silence ensued. The panic-stricken multitudes were paralyzed with terror. 
immediately after the ground began to heave with a long gentle swell producing giddiness and faintness among the people tall piles swayed to and fro like willows in the wind shrieks of horror rose from the terrified assembly again the earth heaved and this time with a longer and higher wave down came the ponderous arches the stately columns the massive walls the lofty spires tumbling upon the heads of priests and people the graven images the deified wafers they who had knelt in adoration before them the worshipped and the worshippers alike were in a moment buried under one indistinguishable mass of horrible ruins only a few who were near the doors escaped to tell the tale it fared no better with those who remained in their dwellings the terrible earth wave overthrew the large number of the private houses in the city burying their inhabitants under the crumbling walls those who were in the streets more generally escaped though some there too were killed by falling walls the sudden overthrow of so many buildings raised vast volumes of fine dust which filled the atmosphere and obscured the sun producing a dense gloom the air was full of doleful sounds the groans of agony from the wounded and the dying screams of despair from the horrified survivors wails of lamentation from the suddenly bereaved dismal howling of dogs and terrified cries of other animals in two or three minutes the clouds of dust fell to the ground and disclosed the scene of desolation which a few seconds had wrought the ruin though general was not universal a considerable number of houses were left standing fortunately tenantless for a third great earth wave traversed the city and most of the buildings which had withstood the previous shocks already severely shaken were entirely overthrown water adds to the destruction the last disaster filled the surviving citizens with the impulse of flight the more fortunate of them ran in the direction of the open country and succeeded in saving their lives but a great multitude rushed down to the harbor thinking to escape by sea here however they were met by a new and unexpected peril the tide after first retreating for a little came rolling in with an immense wave about fifty feet in height carrying with it ships barges and boats and dashing them in dire confusion upon the crowded shore overwhelmed by this huge wave great numbers were on its retreat swept into the seething waters and drowned a vast throng took refuge on a fine new marble quay but recently completed which had cost much labor and expense this the sea wave had spared sweeping harmless by but alas it was only for a moment the vast structure itself with the whole of its living burden sank instantaneously into an awful chasm which opened underneath the mole and all who were on it the boats and barges moored to its sides all of them filled with people were in a moment engulfed not a single corpse not a shred of raiment not a plank nor a splinter floated to the surface and a hundred fathoms of water covered the spot to the first great sea wave several others succeeded and the bay continued for a long time in a state of tumultuous agitation about two hours after the first overthrow of the buildings a new element of destruction came into play the fires in the ruined houses kindled the timbers and a mighty conflagration urged by a violent wind soon raged among the ruins consuming everything combustible 
and completing the wreck of the city. This fire, which lasted four days, was not altogether a misfortune. It consumed the thousands of corpses which would otherwise have tainted the air, adding pestilence to the other misfortunes of the survivors. Yet they were threatened with an enemy not less appalling, for famine stared them in the face. Almost everything edible within the precincts of the city had been consumed. A set of wretches, moreover, who had escaped from the ruins of the prisons, prowled among the rubbish of the houses in search of plunder, so that whatever remained in the shape of provisions fell into their hands and was speedily devoured. They also broke into the houses that remained standing, and rifled them of their contents. It is said that many of those who had been only injured by the ruins, and might have escaped by being extricated, were ruthlessly murdered by those merciless villains. The total loss of life by this terrible catastrophe is estimated at 60,000 persons, of whom about 40,000 perished at once, and the remainder died afterwards of the injuries and privations they sustained. 1,200 were buried in the ruins of the general hospital, 800 in those of the civil prison, and several thousands in those of the convents. The loss of property amounted to many millions sterling. Widespread Destruction Although the earth wave traversed the whole city, the shock was felt more severely in some quarters than in others. All the older part of the town, called the Moorish Quarter, was entirely overthrown, and of the newer part, about seventy of the principal streets were ruined. Some buildings that withstood the shocks were destroyed by fire. The cathedral, eighteen parish churches, almost all the convents, the halls of the Inquisition, the royal residence, and several other fine palaces of the nobility and mansions of the wealthy, the custom houses, the warehouses filled with merchandise, the public granaries filled with corn, and large timber yards, with their stores of lumber, were either overthrown or burned. The king and court were not in Lisbon at the time of this great disaster, but were living in the neighborhood at the castle of Belem, which escaped injury. The royal family, however, were so alarmed by the shocks, that they passed the following night in carriages out of doors. None of the officers of state were with them at the time. On the following morning the king hastened to the ruined city, to see what could be done toward restoring order, aiding the wounded, and providing food for the hungry. The royal family and the members of the court exerted themselves to the uttermost, the ladies devoting themselves to the preparation of lint and bandages, and to nursing the wounded, the sick and the dying, of whom the numbers were overwhelming. Among the sufferers were men of quality and once opulent citizens, who had been reduced in a moment to absolute penury. The kitchens of the royal palace, which fortunately remained standing, were used for the purpose of preparing food for the starving multitudes. It is said that during the first two or three days, a pound of bread was worth an ounce of gold. One of the first measures of the government was to buy up all the corn that could be obtained in the neighborhood of Lisbon, and to sell it again at a moderate price, to those who could afford to buy it, distributing it gratis to those who had nothing to pay. For about a month afterward, earthquake shocks continued, some of them severe. It was several months before any of the citizens could summon courage to begin rebuilding the city. But by degrees their confidence returned. The earth had relapsed into repose, 
and they set about the task of rebuilding with so much energy, that in ten years Lisbon again became one of the most beautiful capitals of Europe. Characteristics of the Lisbon Earthquake The most distinguishing peculiarities of this earthquake were the swallowing up of the mole, and the vast extent of the earth's surface over which the shocks were felt. Several of the highest mountains in Portugal were violently shaken and rent at their summits, huge masses falling from them into the neighboring valleys. These great fractures gave rise to immense volumes of dust, which at a distance were mistaken for smoke by those who beheld them. Flames were also said to have been observed, but if there were any such, they were probably electrical flashes produced by the sudden rupture of the rocks. The portion of the earth's surface convulsed by this earthquake is estimated by Humboldt to have been four times greater than the whole extent of Europe. The shocks were felt not only over the Spanish peninsula, but in Morocco and Algeria they were nearly as violent. At a place about 24 miles from the city of Morocco, there is said to have occurred a catastrophe much resembling what took place at the Lisbon Mole. A great fissure opened in the earth, and an entire village, with all its inhabitants, upwards of 8,000 in number, were precipitated into the gulf, which immediately closed over its prey. Earthquakes in Calabria Of the numerous other examples of destructive earthquakes, which might be chosen from old-world annals, it will not be amiss to append a brief account of those which took place in Calabria, Italy, in 1783. These, while less widespread in their influence, were much longer in duration than the Lisbon Cataclysm, since they continued, at intervals, from the 5th of February until the end of the year. The shocks were felt all over Sicily and as far north as Naples, but the area of severe convulsion was comparatively limited, not exceeding 500 square miles. The center of disturbance seems to have been under the town of Opito, in the farther Calabria and it extended in every direction from that spot, to a distance of about twenty-two miles, with such violence as to overthrow every city, town, and village lying within that circle. This ruin was accomplished by the first shock on the 5th of February. The second, of equal violence, on the 28th of March, was less destructive, only because little or nothing had been left for it to overthrow. At Opito, the motion was in the nature of a vertical upheaval of the ground, which was accompanied by the opening of numerous large chasms, into some of which many houses were engulfed, the chasms closing over them again almost immediately. The town itself was situated on the summit of a hill, flanked by five steep and difficult slopes. It was so completely overthrown by the first shock that scarcely a fragment of wall was left standing. The hill itself was not thrown down, but a fort which commanded the approach to the place was hurled into the gorge below. It was on the flats immediately surrounding the site of the town and on the rising grounds beyond them that the great fissures and chasms were opened. On the slope of one of the hills opposite the town, there appeared a vast chasm, in which a large quantity of soil covered with vines and olive trees was engulfed. This chasm remained open after the shock, and was somewhat in the form of an amphitheater, 500 feet long and 200 feet in depth. Most Calamitous of the Landslips The most calamitous of the landslips occurred on the sea coast of the Straits of Messina. 
near the celebrated rock of Scylla, where huge masses fell from the tall cliffs, overwhelming many villas and gardens. At Gian Greco, a continuous line of precipitous rocks, nearly a mile in length, tumbled down. The aged prince of Scylla, after the first great shock on the 5th of February, persuaded many of his vassals to quit the dangerous shore, and take refuge in the fishing boats, he himself showing the example. That same night, however, while many of the people were asleep in the boats, and others on a flat plain a little above the sea level, another powerful shock threw down from the neighboring Mount Jackie a great mass, which fell with a dreadful crash, partly into the sea, and partly upon the plain beneath. Immediately the sea rose to a height of twenty feet above the level ground on which the people were stationed, and rolling over it, swept away the whole multitude. This immense wave then retired, but returned with still greater violence, bringing with it the bodies of the men and animals it had previously swept away, dashing to pieces the whole of the boats, drowning all that were in them, and wafting the fragments far inland. The prince, with 1,430 of his people, perished by this disaster. It was on the northeast shore of Sicily, however, that the greatest amount of damage was done. The first severe shock, on the 5th of February, overthrew nearly the whole of the beautiful city of Messina, with great loss of life. The shore for a considerable distance along the coast was rent, and the ground along the port, which was before quite level, became afterwards inclined towards the sea, the depth of the water having, at the same time, increased in several parts, through the displacement of portions of the bottom. The quay also subsided about fourteen inches below the level of the sea, and the houses near it were much rent. But it was in the city itself that the most terrible desolation was wrought, a complication of disasters having followed the shock, more especially a fierce conflagration, whose intensity was augmented by the large stores of oil kept in the place. Immense Destruction According to official reports made soon after the events, the destruction caused by the earthquakes of the 5th of February and the 28th of March throughout the two Calabrias was immense. About 320 towns and villages were entirely reduced to ruins, and about fifty others seriously damaged. The loss of life was appalling, forty thousand having perished by the earthquakes, and twenty thousand more having subsequently died from privation and exposure, or from epidemic diseases bred by the stagnant pools and the decaying carcasses of men and animals. The greater number were buried amid the ruins of the houses, while others perished in the fires that were kindled in most of the towns, particularly in Opido, where the flames were fed by great magazines of oil. Not a few, especially among the peasantry dwelling in the country, were suddenly engulfed in fissures. Many who were only half buried in the ruins, and who might have been saved had there been help at hand, were left to die a lingering death from cold and hunger. Four Augustine monks at Terra Nuova perished thus miserably. Having taken refuge in a vaulted sacristy, they were entombed in it alive by the masses of rubbish, and lingered for four days, during which their cries for help could be heard, till death put an end to their sufferings. Of still more thrilling interest was the case of the Marchioness Spastara. Having fainted at the moment of the first great shock, 
she was lifted by her husband, who, bearing her in his arms, hurried with her to the harbor. Here, on recovering her senses, she observed that her infant boy had been left behind. Taking advantage of a moment when her husband was too much occupied to notice her, she darted off and, running back to the house, which was still standing, she snatched her babe from its cradle. Rushing with him in her arms toward the staircase, she found the stair had fallen, cutting off all further progress in that direction. She fled from room to room, pursued by the falling materials, and at length reached a balcony as her last refuge. Holding up her infant, she implored the few passers-by for help, but they all, intent on securing their own safety, turned a deaf ear to her cries. Meanwhile the mansion had caught fire, and before long the balcony, with the devoted lady still grasping her darling, was hurled into the devouring flames. End of section 16